Ladies and gentlemen, it is that time once again for, you know it's fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. I am your host. My name is Brian Breaker, and welcome to episode 100. Wow! 100 episodes. If you've been listening from day one, can't thank you enough. If you found me somewhere along the way, I just really appreciate you being on board. Um, I've absolutely loved doing this show. It was definitely a... uh, a very difficult, I don't want to say difficult, it was a challenging task to do a weekly podcast, knowing that every seven days I had to produce a conversation with someone, whether it was a wrestler, a podcaster, a friend, somebody, I had to produce a conversation. Not easy to do, but I'm really, really glad I got to do it, and that kind of leads me to this point. Um, You know, it's fake, right? We'll be coming to a... um, to be continued. I don't want to say an ending. Um, here's what I'm going to do. Uh, my Daniel Cross is my guest this week. We're going to touch on everything there. Um, me and him are actually going to be launching a new podcast, which I will wait to talk about because me and him talk about it in the interview. But it's going to be really fun. And he kind of gave this idea to me. And I was looking at it like this. I've already got Breaker and Bane's Power Hour, which we're approaching 500 episodes. And we're kind of changing our format there, too. And, you know, me and Bane, I think, have always kind of thought, like, well, like I, I didn't think our show was bad, but I think sometimes it's just, let's have fun with it and see where it goes. And people seem to be liking the format change of a more free-flowing show and just talking and as opposed to topics, and hey, maybe that helps. But uh, Daniel Cross presented this idea to me sounded fun and I wanted to do it but I was looking at it like I got Power Hour you know it's Fake Right and TV Toycast trying to squeeze in a fourth podcast every week I knew was not going to happen three's already nearly impossible so I knew one had to go and I really enjoy doing TV Toycast and I can't let Power Hour go because it's been going so long so I kind of knew it was this one unfortunately and what I think I'm going to do, though, and I, so this is what I want everyone to understand. Like, don't upsu- don't unsubscribe or anything. What I'm going to do is I'm I'm actually going to take a, believe it or not, I'm going to take a, a lesson from old Bill Benis, and I'm going to do seasons. And um, I'm going to take a, a pretty good little sabbatical, kind of let recharge my batteries on this a little bit. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to record maybe 12 interviews. And for 12 weeks, that will be the season. Right, and yeah, you know, twelve is just a random number. It may be more, maybe less, but basically, you know, I'm and I, I want to include some of my favorites. You know, the Jeff Toons, Scott Toon, Bane, Travis Fowler, Jason Wolf, Daniel Cross, uh, Jack Gamble. I've been talked with him. He was on episode one. He's only done one episode, which is crazy. In fact, I just texted him today and was like, "Man, I haven't seen you in a year. What's going on, dude? We need to we need to hang out." And so, that's going to be my idea where it's just kind of more like 12 fun interviews as opposed to 
having to, like, alright, I need to record two interviews today because I have nothing in the can, because that kind of can be stressful. And I know it's not a big deal because it's my show and I kind of make my own rules, but I always liked producing a show every week. And I got to talk to some really fun people on here. Um, over the last, I mean, even like Al Day, my guest from last week, you know, I met him through Twitter and we did a podcast and it was so much fun. And and so I I really enjoy this show and I don't want it to go, but I feel like this will be a better format. That way people can catch up. Because I, I don't know, are you like me? Because I have so many podcasts, I can't even listen to all of them. I want to, I just don't have time. And it's like you turn one on, you drive for 10 minutes and then, you know, you're on the phone, you don't listen and it's just, it's hard to keep track of everything. So that's my uh that's my new thing is I'm going to uh go to seasons and probably launch it sometime in mid twenty twenty three is what I'm thinking. But uh me and Daniel Cross will be talking about our new podcast adventure here and so let's not waste any more time. Let's dive right into it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to You Know It's Fake, Right? And uh, this is kind of an interesting episode because I got my buddy Daniel Cross uh, joining me this week, who you've heard on the show a couple of times. This is going to be kind of the unofficial ending of this show. Now, am I going to end it completely? Eh, Probably not. It'll probably come back at some point. But I have Daniel here with me. We're going to talk about some uh, kind of like, you know, what this show was about and, you know, wrestling stories and stuff. But we're also going to talk about this new idea we have. So, first of all, Daniel, uh, thanks for uh, joining me this week, man. Hey, no problem. Good to be here. We've always had uh, some fun conversations on here. You know, my idea when I first started this show was to kind of talk about, like, you know, the realistic side of what pro wrestling is. And I feel like everyone's perspective is a little bit different. But I think it's very interesting to kind of dissect how – weird this industry is at times. Uh, I know you haven't wrestled for a few years now, but, um, you know, again, if people don't know me and you first met probably about 2006 or so, I was kind of making my way into the wrestling business and you were living there in Eldon and, you know, I'm, I'm coming into town thinking that this is going to be this like top tier facility. I'm thinking the performance center and I come across this small little shopping center in Eldon, Missouri. And I think like, this can't be it. Like this can't be, (laughs) the Harley race wrestling Academy, but sure enough it was. And, um, you'd been there for a few years, man. So like, what were your thoughts? Like to kind of go back a little bit, like when you first broke into wrestling and and came to train with Harley. Yeah. I, I, uh, I don't know. I still don't know. I think, uh, I was excited, you know, to definitely, I think any ring, even if it was like in the middle of a, a, uh, garbage field or something, you know, I would have been thrilled to death just to be in a ring. So, you know, when I went there, I didn't have super high expectations. I didn't know what a wrestling school really was or what it was going to be like. I think I, at that point in time, had seen videos of the WCW power plant. And, you know, I, I knew it wasn't going to be like that because I, you know, because I had been to some WLW shows and I knew the budget wasn't as high as WCW. Right. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I was, I didn't really know what I was expecting, but I went there and I thought it was awesome, you know, Sure. because you have this ring right in the middle and then hanging on the walls, you have all this stuff where if you're a mark, like we all were, you know, it was uh, pretty cool. All of Harley's different hall of fame plaques, different awards that he had gotten through the years. I remember marking out over just, uh, there were some pictures like, uh, like just Polaroid pictures of, uh, I'm guessing BJ probably took them. 
but back in Harley's WCW days, and there was like a picture of Stone Cold just sleeping on a couch, and mm-hmm. the guys over for just a barbecue, had a barbecue and, they were and all, stuff. <laughs> yeah, so they're all just kind of framed and hanging up there. And I'm like, oh, cow, that's Steve Austin, you know, and yeah. things like that. So, uh, yeah, I was just marking out just by looking at the – and you could spend all afternoon looking at those walls if you've ever been into that academy. And then, of course, he's got his, you know, King of the Ring robe and mm-hmm. his King of the Ring trophy and different belts and things like that. So, um, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was pretty cool. Um, like I said, I didn't – I knew it wasn't going to be the power plant, but uh, I also didn't know what to expect on the other end as well. I was expecting maybe some air conditioning, but that didn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that big smoke cloud that'd be above you while you're doing squats was always nice too, wasn't it? Yeah, and in the summer they would bring in that huge like industrial fan <laughs> yeah. to to blow blow air from the outside through the inside of the building. So But you know, it's kind of, you know, bragging rights too, you know, you were you were brought up the right way and it definitely it wasn't easy. Oh, definitely not. It was it was definitely an interesting uh, interesting journey that we all kind of experienced, kind of getting into wrestling and stuff. Um, I think ours was probably different than most because you know, like you said, it was it was a small school, and I know I used to do that too to kind of help me get through all the squats we would do. Is I would kind of look at all the memorabilia, almost to try to take my mind off of doing hundreds and hundreds of squats, you know, and just like you said, the picture, the pictures, the the old posters, the trophies. I remember seeing like his King of the Ring boots up there, and it's just like holy crap! Uh-huh. You know, like that's that's just insane. So it was definitely well, an interesting what's crazy. time. What's crazy too was uh, just how because of Harley and who Harley was and the connections you could get uh, with him. You know, I went from basically just being a fan of wrestling, and then I joined the academy, and literally three weeks later, I'm shaking hands with Vince McMahon. Mm-hmm. because Harley brought me, he wanted to be even three weeks into my training. He said, hey, Dan, you want to go to SmackDown tomorrow night? And I said, yeah, awesome. So I go, you know, I go to SmackDown with Harley, you know, three weeks into my training, and I'm sitting there, I'm shaking hands with Vince McMahon. I'm like, holy cow, like I didn't, you know, expect that this would happen, you know, just three weeks ago, <laughs> you know, when you're when this world seems like so big and unattainable in a lot of ways, and then all of a sudden you're backstage. And because I was with Harley, obviously everybody was coming up to shake hands and say hi, and I was just kind of there by proxy. But, uh, you know, I got to meet all these guys, you know, three weeks into the business, which I know most people who get into the pro wrestling business and go to just some kind of generic school, they typically don't get that experience. No, it's um, it's definitely an interesting thing, right? Because I think there was a lot of doors that opened because of who Harley was. And just, I mean, I, I remember a funny story. We were all eating at Cracker Barrel one time. This was probably 2011, 2012. I was actually pretty close on my way out. The waiter walks up to us and he's like, Hey guys, welcome to Cracker Barrel. Uh, we have today's special. And he like goes, he's going through his spiel. He just stops and he goes, you're Harley race. And he looks and he goes, I'm what's left of kid. <laughs> and, and the guy was just like, yeah. oh, whoa. Like he, he was just so blown away. Like he couldn't. He didn't know what to say or do it. It just, it was like, wow, that's like, like, I don't think, I I wouldn't say we took it for granted, but I think it was definitely crazy to, to realize like the celebrity status he had amongst the wrestling business. Like it was huge. He's a, he was a huge, huge name. And for us to kind of just get to be around him on a daily basis was definitely a fun thing. Yeah, I definitely regret not uh, picking his brain more than I did. You know, every time that I did, I learned something 
usually very simple but very impactful. Like I think the best, I mean the best advice I ever got in wrestling came from him, which I was, uh, he was, you know, sitting there during training one night and uh, we were locking up and I don't know, we were doing some chain wrestling or something and he said, you know, he said, stop, stop. So we both, you know, I don't even remember who I was in the ring with, but we both stopped. And he said, don't take a single step in that ring unless it means something. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, just something really simple like that just got, because I'm guessing I was probably like kind of dancing around, having happy feet or yeah. whatever you want to call it. Uh, but for some reason, you know, just little a little piece of advice like that, you know, don't do anything unless in that ring unless it means something. It just got my gears turning, and I was like, oh, okay, well, like, if I, sh- if I shouldn't even take a step unless it means something, then maybe I need to think about other things, like how I put on a chin lock or, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Because I would, I would just, you know, a typical, I guess if everybody knows the wrestling, we don't have video. But anyway, you know, you, you do a snap, Mary, you put a guy in a chin lock. Mm-hmm. Well, I started to think, okay, well, how can I make that mean something? How can I make it mean more? So I would snap, Mary, a guy. And then I would raise, which I did steal from like Stan Hansen, but then I would raise way up in the air on my tiptoes, bring my left arm into the air, and then I would come down on the guy and then cinch in the chin lock. You know, just something, you know, very minute, but something different that not everybody was doing. Um, so, you know, just <clears throat> just that little bit of advice from Harley, just like I said, got, got my gears turning, made me think in a different way. And, uh, you know, that's what he was there for. And I think I always said... You know, as great as, you know, our trainers at the time, uh, Superstar Steve, Trevor Murdoch, Ace Steele was there. He would uh, poke his head ahead in from time to time. You know, but I always said, you know, just 30 minutes with Harley was, you know, almost better than three months, you know, training with somebody else, uh, just, you know, picking his brain. So oh, yeah. definitely regret not, not uh, doing that more. And, you know, you're 18 and he's Harley and you're kind of intimidated. Sure. But uh, obviously they're... It's weird, you know. There's obviously a lot to be intimidated by, but at the same time, he wasn't. Uh, at the same time, he wasn't intimidating. You know, he wouldn't just snap at you if you went in his office and asked him a question. Right. You know, he loved he loved talking wrestling, and I think a lot of times he got kind of bored in his office, and he was probably waiting for guys yeah. <laughs> to, oh, yeah. to come in there and just uh, talk with him. You know. Well, I know after uh, BJ died, he uh, he would actually like. We kind of like started like, hey Harley, you want to watch some matches with us? Sure. And like he, I could tell he kind of enjoyed it. You know, like he he wouldn't sit there all night, yeah. but he'd watch a few matches with us and kind of tell us things. And it's just like wow, there, there was so much to learn. I remember, you know, one of the things he would always tell me when I'm in the ring, I call the match. And like that was kind of his <laughs> his deal. And and so I asked him one day, I was like Harley, I had a question about that. And I was like, I'm not trying to like say that you're not one of the best ever because that's obviously the case. But there's a lot of guys and there's a lot of ego in wrestling. So how did that go with certain people? Like, you know, was someone like a Bruiser Brody or a Verd Gagne? Like, how did they feel when you're like, I call the match? And he goes, well, kid. And he basically described Vern Gagne to me. He goes, Vern Gagne would like to do this and uh-huh. like to do that. And then he'd take you over in a headlock. All right, what do you want to do, kid? And I was like, so you basically took over from there. And he was like, exactly. I was like, so you thought you just let him think he was called the match. And he just kind of grinned, you know, that Harley grin. And I'm like, uh-huh. aha. Like, it, like, that was so 
it was so profound to me because uh-huh. it was just like, wow, that's so smart. You basically just he called a spot, and then you once he was once it was time, you took over, and you basically controlled the entire tempo of the match. And you know, because I, I think nowadays things are called so much different. Like one person's usually not calling everything; it's a little bit of back and forth, but. Well, I don't know how much calling even really goes on anymore. You know, it's all no, that's true. move for move, you know, planned out in the back. I think, I don't know, you know, I'm, I'm not up there, but it seems that way. You don't, it seems like uh, nothing nothing much seems organic, you know, on TV. Right. So. No, that's that's a fair, fair assessment. Did you, uh, I'm sure you heard this story from Steamboat, but we were up at WWE one time and Harley was with us and, so Ricky Steamboat came over to the table we were eating at, and, you know, he said, hey, guys, just, you know, had to tell you this story here. You know, Harley was sitting right there. He's like, my first ever match with Harley, or maybe his first ever hour with Harley. I don't remember what he said. He said, we lock up, and Harley said, I'm tired. You call it tonight, kid. And he said, my legs just went to jello. <laughs> so he, uh, I guess he had Steamboat call the whole match. And then... Uh, so they got through it, and Harley sitting there, you know, with all of us, he said, you know what, and our Ricky's, I remember it being a pretty good match. But uh, he said that just intimidated, Ricky Steamboat said that just intimidated him, you know, that he all of a sudden on the fly had to call the match for Harley when Harley was always the one that called it. Well, that that is an interesting thing because, you know, like you said, if you're not prepared for that, like, you're just listening. And... That was always kind of my big fear coming out of out of the school early on was being able to call a match to somebody because that was so hard for me to do initially. And then I just got to the point where I'm like, no, I want to call it on the fly. I feel like it's better that way and getting to react to things and stuff. And I know, like you mentioned, it's a totally different vibe nowadays, but there's something special about that, I think, too, where you do kind of need a mix of both. Yeah, so what's, I mean, what's your thoughts? I just, actually, this is just, I don't know if it's recent news, but fairly recent. You know, the basically Shawn Michaels being the head of NXT, they're like I heard there's rumors now that Michaels and others they won't even bring down legends anymore or old timers because it's a completely different business. So they really don't want old timers talking to the guys because they think it's just gonna confuse them. That they're now trying to do more of this fast paced, what we call spot fest, you know. Uh, little little psychology, more spots, faster pace, which part of it I get. Like, I know one thing I heard, like, from Kevin Nash. Uh, Kevin Nash went there to an NXT taping, and, you know, he was sitting there with Shawn Michaels, and he was like, geez, these guys need to slow it down a little bit, don't they? And Michaels said, that's the style. He's like, if you go out there now and you do tests of strength, people are going to boo you out of the building. Um, so, I mean, part of it I get, but at the same time, man, if they just completely... Like they don't want any of the uh, the old timers' views or or views on psychology. I feel like a good part of the business is going to die if it hasn't already. Yeah, I don't know if I agree with that because I I still feel like people that have made money in this business have something to say. You know, I've always felt that way. Yeah. Um, it is a different style. That's that's for sure. But. That's actually one thing, too, and I, I'm sure you can agree with this. I never felt like Harley was too far behind the times. Like, he – I felt like he got it, like, anything we were doing. Like, if he saw something, like, yeah, outlandish, like, he was always, like, 
I get it. Like I remember uh, this guy Johnny Pantoya was working on a move one time. It's actually what Zack Ryder or Matt Cardona does now where they jump up and they kind of do a leg drop where they ride him down. And he was working uh, on that, and Harley goes, well, kid, it doesn't look like it hurts. That's what his honest reaction was, which is a fair assessment to any finishing move. Uh-huh. And Darren Wade was like, well, you know, Hogan made a whole bunch of money just doing it with the guy on the mat. And he goes, well, that's a good point, too. And, like, Harley was like, <laughs> maybe it is a good move. Give it a shot. Like, I remember thinking that that was – he wasn't so set in his ways that he couldn't learn as well, which I always appreciated that about him. Like anytime he saw something, it, he knew what he knew like what was bad, but also if he saw something and he thought it was good, he was he was all for it. So I always thought that was um, for a guy in his position, like that 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 was pretty cool. Yeah, we had uh, so Darren Wade and Tyler Dunning; those two like wrestled each other pretty much nonstop for the first year. And they both wrestled very fast paced, a lot of spots. Mm-hmm. Uh, not that that was, you know, necessarily a bad thing, but it definitely wasn't like Harley style. It was more of, honestly, it was more of what you see kind of now, not that they were super ahead of their time, but they were kind of, I would say influenced by maybe TNA at that time. Sure. Uh, so we're talking, we're talking like 2003, 2004, somewhere in there. But, uh, you know, Harley was always complimentary, you know, of that, even though it wasn't obviously anything that he did, uh, definitely not any of the moves that he did. But, you know, if you could put them together in a way that told a story and had a little bit of psychology and it wasn't just doing moves for moves sake, I think he was always uh, knowledgeable and appreciative of, of that type of a style. It just had to make sense, you know. Yeah, and I think that's the whole point is he was always real just real big on if something is safe, if it looks good and and things like that. So I, I've always I've always appreciated about appreciated that about his outlook on on the business. Um I got a question for you now, like to kind of change gears. We kind of talked about the business being different. Can you sit there and watch wrestling in 2022? Like is this something you can watch um, for entertainment? Like how is that how is that for you? I haven't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, I've been up in the air as far as, I mean, I guess, honestly, I'm just not a fan anymore. Yeah. And I don't know exactly why that is. I'm sure a lot of it has to do with where the business is at and how it is so different than what I grew up with. Um, you know, I don't I don't know if I'm just seeing it. I don't know. I really don't. I've, Like I said, I've gone back and forth with it. There's elements you know like even even here and there when i'll hear oh this amazing match happened i'm like okay usually like if you start hearing things about this great amazing match you know you go back and you watch it and used to would kind of make me a fan again um trying to think like for example Shawn michaels and undertaker at wrestlemania 25 or whatever that was mm-hmm. and uh you know people as soon as that match happened they're calling it the greatest match maybe ever in the history of wrestling so, okay, I need to go check this out. So I would watch, I'm like, yeah, that was really good, and that, you know, it made me a fan. Uh, now when I hear about an amazing match, I go and I, I try and watch it. I'm like, I just, it's not for me. I don't know. I don't get it. <laughs> I don't see, I don't know if it's because I'm not involved in the story, you know, that's building up to the match, um, but it just doesn't do much for me anymore. And I certainly can't, I, I don't even know how long it's been since I've watched a full three-hour Raw, you know, front to back. It's probably been ten years, so... Oh no, I'm right there with you. It's definitely a different time. I've tried to watch certain aspects of it. It's just so much harder for me to get involved. And I think Matt Murphy, you know, mutual friend of ours, once he told me one time on here, actually on this show, he was like, "I'm not going to say it's wrong because if it's making money, 
it's not wrong. It's just not for me. I'm not the target audience. It's not for me. Yeah. Yeah, no, we're just getting uh, too old. Maybe. (laughs) I don't know. You know, we're we're getting too old for this style, and not that we have to do it anymore, but I don't know, just something about it doesn't connect with us as it did. Yeah. Just some 80s and 90s stuff, you know? Well, that's the thing about it is, like, I, I still can enjoy a good wrestling match when I see it. I just don't feel like that's what we're seeing all the time. And, you know, I don't guess it's anyone's fault. It is what it is, but... You know, ultimately, the business or the companies are going to do what they feel is the best move to make money. It's just, again, it's a totally different industry at times. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I still get a kick out of watching, well, Bobby Eaton, you know, he died, yep. uh, whatever it was, maybe a, a year ago or a year and a half, I don't remember. But, you know, his matches start popping up here and there, and then I start watching those, and that makes me a fan again. Yeah. You know, just the simplest things, how he threw a punch is... Uh, just leg drop off the top rope, like just how perfect it was. And, you know, from the jump to the landing, every part of it. Um, I don't know. I was, I was marking out over who was I watching? I think, uh, Oh, Johnny Valentine was wrestling Harley. Like it was an old black and white, uh, footage and it was really just like clips. It was probably like a 30 minute match, but all they had was little 12 second clips, but just with those 12 second clips, uh, that were shown just back to back. I'm like, man, those guys were so good. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. It's just, it's weird. It's, it's kind of like the, it's just, I don't know. It's just however it hits you. You know, there's some things that, uh, I'll watch a Johnny Valentine match where it's slower pace, but you know, everything looks good and stiff and mm-hmm. solid. Um, and that makes me a fan. Or if I watch Bob Orton Jr., love his matches, uh, mostly mm-hmm. I just like his selling. That was always something I patterned myself after. I loved watching Bob Orton Jr. and his selling. Um, but then, you know, today, I don't know, I just watch him. And, you know, here's another aspect. Like, I do think some of the guys today look a little too pretty. Yeah. You know, they're just, they're all kind of, uh, we used to call it like the OVW body, which back in the early 2000s, it was always like biker shorts, tattoos, and abs. And then and, like the, uh, uh, they have, they, the trendy haircut, right? Yeah, and it hasn't gone too far from that nowadays. Everybody's still pretty, you know, 200 to 240, somewhere in that range. They all kind of look the same. They all wrestle the same. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, back in the day, like you look at someone like Bob Wharton Jr., and he was just kind of this, you know, bland-looking cowboy, but he would get in there and, you, you know, he looked like he could tear someone's head off if he needed to. Right. And same with, you know, Greg the Hammer Valentine. You know, they just look like real men out there fighting and real men that had an issue with each other. And now it's a little too much maybe performance art <laughs> or whatever it is, you know. Well, you know, I've said that too, like, because I know there's a lot more focus on the women nowadays. And I'm like, you know, it's interesting how these women compete in UFC and it's like no makeup. You know, the hair's pulled yeah. back super tight so it doesn't get in their way. And it's like you can tell these girls are prepared to fight. In WWE, it's like, you know, makeup's on point, hair's on point. You know, it's, so it's like mm-hmm. we're not doing the same thing. And I know that, like, wrestling's entertainment, but it's like when you present it that way, it, it really doesn't look like, oh, that girl's going in for a fight. It doesn't look like that to me. So, no, I get what you're saying. I think, like, there's something about a Stan Hansen that I can enjoy because I feel oh, yeah. like watching, like, his stuff in all Japan, it's like this guy's this mean, this big, rough and tough old cowboy is going to beat up these Japanese guys. Like you can buy into that. And same with like, yeah, well, I think and all those guys. 
Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think you've heard, uh, I think Jim Cornette said that a bunch of times about AEW. You know, it looks like the guys in the front row are tougher than the guys in the ring. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, you know, so I think, I don't know. There's always, you know, there's always uh, room for the uh, Paul Paul Romas or Rick Martells or, mm-hmm. or guys like that. But, uh, yeah, I think you definitely need a mix of, of guys who look like they, you know, just came out of a bar and are ready to fight. I, yeah, I, that's why I always I always like Trevor Murdoch. You know, when he got to WWE, and obviously we were probably a little biased. We wanted to see him do well, but he just looked he looked so different. You know, he looked tough. He wasn't that OBW body, and uh, you know he laid his stuff in too. So, mm-hmm. well, to me, that's always been the biggest thing with wrestling is I never wanted my stuff to be see through. I never wanted someone to be like, ah, oh, well. Uh, you know, uh, he didn't look like he hit him that hard. I always wanted people to, I guess, have the thought of like suspending disbelief, right? Like I, I, I look at it like the same way I do like a, a comic book movie. Like we know Iron Man's not real, but while you're in the theater watching the movie, it's not so outlandish that you can't believe it. Like you can buy into the story they're telling you. And yeah. that's kind of how I always felt with, with wrestling. I'm like, if I can, lay my stuff in and be as legit as possible, hit hard and safe places, all that stuff and have a certain snap to my movements. And, you know, cause I, to me, like it's a big thing. And I actually, I don't know if I ever told you this, but I, I watched your stuff a lot and kind of picked up on how you moved around the ring. Like you were mentioning how Harley talked to you early on about your wasted movement. But like when you picked a guy up, you picked him up aggressively. And that's always been a real, thing that I've hated. Like I remember watching an ECW match and balls Mahoney just KOs this guy with a chair shot. Right. Uh-huh. And then he picks him up all gently. And it's like, seriously, like, come on, like pick him up. Like you're trying to yank him up to his feet and that's, and I know what he's doing. He's calling a spot. So he's trying to take his time, but it's to me, that's such a tell. And so I was always tried to be conscious of like how I picked a guy up, how I grabbed him when I shot him into the ropes. Was I aggressive? You know, all that stuff, I think that's that you buy into the to the work of what we're doing, and if you can kind of fool people into like, oh, he's he's roughing this guy up a little bit, then it it does add that believability factor. Well, yeah, and that came well. First off, I don't blame you one bit for watching my old stuff. Uh, I was pretty good. No, uh, <laughs> no that, that all. <laughs> no, I mean that was all Trevor and Steve. You know, yeah, with you know, with me, with you. You know, we're a little bit bigger guys, at least on the indie scene. You know, mm-hmm. two, 240 on the indies is like a 300-pounder. Oh, yeah. <laughs> in, Super uh, heavyweight almost. In WWE. Yeah. So, you know, that was something Steve and Trevor taught me, and no doubt Harley probably taught them. You know, that, you know, don't always just be nice and gentle when you, you know, and let a guy get to his feet, especially if you're a heel. You know, just grab that guy out of the corner, pull him, you know, manhandle him, put him where you want to, and then, you know, pick him up, body slam him, give him a suplex, and then, you know, let him sell a little bit. Let that all, let everything you just did register with the crowd. Okay, oh, crap, that guy's upset. He really just jerked that guy around and then Mm -hmm. slammed him down. And then go back to him, and then maybe let him try to get to his feet or taunt him or, you know, whatever it may be. So, yeah, uh, yeah, I mean... If it looked good, it's only because that's how I was taught too, you know. Yeah. Well, and I think that's. And I remember we we had that. I think we had that lesson once with Joe Henning. I don't. I don't know if we were. We we thought maybe he was going to be a heel. We weren't sure yet. I don't think he had started wrestling yet. But we had a whole. 
you know, 30 minutes during training where he would just needed to be more forceful because he was being a lot more, like, too gentle, you know, with the guys. Um, and, you know, and again, that, that's kind of see-through. It looks more like cooperation in a show. Mm-hmm. And I always think, I think it looks great when two guys are in there fighting and one guy might even be off balance. You know, you see that kind of, I don't know what the word is, you see that tension, you know, between them, that it's not so choreographed and pretty and seamless and, and doesn't always have a flow. Yeah. But it's really just like it looks a little ugly. guy around and, yeah, it looks ugly. You, you jerk a guy around, he's, you know, losing his footing or he can't get his footing. You know, you're, you're forcing him to go somewhere and then vice versa, he boots you or, yeah, there, there has to be that struggle in there. Otherwise, it does look, you know, a little uh, too choreographed, I guess. I uh, I did a match when I was in NXT with Rusev one time. And I may have told this story before, but he, you know, was kind of debuting. He was kind of changing his character up a little bit. And so we were um, we were doing this match. And, you know, I put him in the headlock. And he's going to pick me up and try to shake me off, pick me up. And, and I think we had a spot planned where he was going to shook me off. Like, like kind of not high in the air, but kind of shook me off big. I hit the ropes and then I, you know, I'd take a tackle from him cause he was the big bruiser or something like we had something planned there. And so he picks me up to shake me. And so I kick my legs out to, to try to like, like I'm trying to get my feet back. Well, he ended up like just dropping me backwards and I, I didn't have my feet underneath me. So I basically just take a bump with him on top of me. <laughs> And uh, so I hang on to the headlock because I'm like, oh, God, like, this is awful. Like, I'm I'm just kind of cringing now. And he goes, it's okay. It's okay. And, and so I, I still got the headlock, and we're just, like, almost rolling around on the mat. I'm like, this is, like, the next level bad. Like, I'm going to get fired for this match. <laughs> I just know uh, it was the worst thing ever. We're rolling around. We finally get up to our feet. I still got it. I still got the headlock. And then we do the spot, and he shucks me off and do the tackle. The rest of the match goes goes fine, but I'm still in my head thinking, like, that spot is so bad. Like, you know what I mean? And you feel like it's so uh, easy to just kind of focus on that one thing. And we get back and the agent was Norman Smiley. And he was like, he loved it. He's like, it looked ugly. It looked like a real fight. Like you never let go of the headlock. Yeah. And he was like putting it over. And I'm like, Hey, we're trying something different, you know, like, which was, it was not, a, it was not an intentional <laughs> thing, but I think sometimes that's also the important thing of wrestling is you have to roll with the punches. Like all I knew was like, and this was a big thing I learned my training with Harley is like, if you have a headlock, you don't let go of it unless you're transitioning to something else. Like, and th- this was always a peeve of mine when a guy would work up from a headlock and he would take his arm and put it on the mat to try to get his balance. It's like, no, hang on to the headlock, you know? And yeah. And it was just little things like that. So I was really fortunate that that came across better than I thought it did. But I think that's sometimes just part yeah, of the always... business. Yeah. Like I, one of the goals, and I wish I would have had this goal earlier on in my wrestling career, but as I got towards the end, I used to get a kick out of, you know, everyone knows the deal, you know, with pro wrestling, they know it's a work or whatever, but I would always shoot for, can I make them believe for 20 seconds, you know, that we're actually in a legit fight or that we're like legitimately mad at each other and just kind of create those little moments of doubt or, you know, make them believe that I really did did, you know, hurt my leg or, or whatever it was. Um, right. Because, yeah, so much is uh, see-through now and so predetermined and, and everything else. There's not – it's really hard to fool people, but when you can, like, that's the best thing. 
like Trevor, uh, I hated it, but I mean, that was the point. <laughs> we would be training or even in a match and he would always open hand slap you right in the gut. Yeah. And it's, it stung so bad and there's oh, yeah. no way, there's no way like or in your ribs, you know, and there's no way you can get hit like that and you not automatically just get pissed off in your face, you yes. know? Like, because it's real. <laughs> yeah, because it really does you're hurt. Really, you're, yeah, because it really stings. And you're really upset that he just did it. So, you know, he'll open hand slap you in the ribs. You get that look on your face. And then all of a sudden, you know, he wants you to fight back or, you know, punch him back or chop him back or fight out of the corner or whatever it may be. And like I said, for that 20 seconds, the people are going to believe, oh, man, I think I think they were really mad at each other there for a second. Mm-hmm. And you kind of are, but, you know, you know, you we're all working together. But, um, yeah, like I would, I would always do that. Like, and it's even better when you fool yourself. Like I remember this one time we were doing one of those weird three-way tag matches where there's two guys in the ring. That's how Harley always did, used to do his triple threat matches. There's always two guys in the ring and the third guy has to tag in Mm -hmm. to get, to get into the match. It was always weird and the crowd didn't understand it, but that's how Harley liked to do them. Yeah, that's so that's so weird nowadays to think that, but yeah. Yeah, I mean it makes sense. I mean you just it's hard to get the crowd to understand it. Yeah. But uh anyway, I remember so let's see, I was in the ring with Derek McQuinn and he backed me into the corner where Wild Wade Chisholm was, and uh Wade tagged me to get into the match, so now I have to get out. So Wade tagged me and he turned his back to me and you know, it's just part of it. You don't you don't do that even though I'm not the legal man anymore. So I just open hand slapped him as hard as I could in the back of the neck or like right between the shoulders. And man, he fired back a look at me and I was like, he actually legitimately scared me. Oh yeah. <laughs> and the whole crowd, when I did the whole crowd was like, Ooh. Yeah. And uh, he shot this look at me. I'm like, Oh man, I think I actually made Wade mad there. <laughs> and then I just kind of slowly backed, you know, back, back out of the ring. And then we got to the back, and I was like, hey, Wade, when I hit you in the back, were you, like, mad at me there? He's like, no, man, it was cool. It was cool. Did you hear that crowd? That was awesome. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and I think it's one of those things, like you said, it does legit make you mad. Oh, yeah. But it's like you get over it quick once the crowd's with it. You're like, okay, that was good. Even though, like, man, that yeah. freaking hurt. Like, in that moment, you're like, ah, oh, that freaking hurt. But then after um, after a little bit, you're like, okay, that was good. You know, so it's, it does take you that. Yeah, so I mean, if I'm working myself, surely I'm working the crowd, you know? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But again, I think I've always said the most believable thing in any wrestling match is body language. And I try to describe it to people. I was like, look how, like, think about that guy in high school that you disliked. Why'd you dislike him? Was it because of something he said or how he carried himself? And I'm like, yeah. to me, like, that's the things that you can make a good heel. Like, if you see something like, I can't stand that guy. Why can't you stand him? It's probably because of something he's doing that you're just like, ugh, I don't like that guy. But it's not necessarily specific to what he's saying. It's just how how you perceive the guy, which I think is a, a very clever thing. So it's something to definitely yeah, so here, look into. Here's a great lesson. So we were, I still remember we were in Sedalia. I don't remember who I was or wrestling, but I was getting ready to go out. My music had just my music had like a little ten cent, uh, ten second intro before before the whatever kicks in, and then I walk out. Anyway, I was getting ready to go out there. At that point, I'd been wrestling maybe a year, and I was kind of a typical indie heel. You know, I would go through the curtain mm-hmm. and I would be like, "Oh, this town stinks! Shut up!" Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, you know. 
all that kind of stuff. Cheap, cheap heat, I guess. So my music hits. I got about 10 seconds for him to go out there, and Trevor just grabs my arm real quick, and he says, I don't want you to say this town sucks or, you know, this town stinks or you people suck. He said, I want you to say anything to the crowd, but I want you to still be the heel. And I was like, that, like, you know, stunned me. I'm like, well, I don't know how to be a heel unless I say those things. <laughs> right. He said, let your he said, let your work make them boo you. And I was like, uh, okay. So then, you know, I go out there and I just, I don't know if they were booing me. I was like, I'm sure I had some kind of stunned look on my face because I didn't know what to do. I'd never done that before. Mm-hmm. So I well, just and that's also a thing the where ring. when they first see you, they don't necessarily know you're the bad guy, right? Yeah, so that was kind of, as an indie guy, that's the easy way. Okay, I'm the bad guy because I told you to shut up. Mm-hmm. You know, now now you know who I am. Now you know who that guy is. Right. You know, now we can have the match. But, you know, Trevor stopped me. So, you know, he said, let your let your work make them boo you. That's a, and, that's a very uh, good lesson to throw at people, though. I think it's good to do stuff like that, like, hey, go out there, but you can't do this, you can't do that. Or, like, if you figure out what their go-to is, like, okay, so you always – you know, do this, don't do that, but try to still get over. And I think it's, it's definitely something that always helps. Like I know there was a lot of guys in this area where I've been now that work the same place every month. And it's like, we didn't have that luxury. WLW always traveled. So we were really at a cold arena almost every show. And so that was really, that was a good lesson for me to try to walk out to these weird podunk towns and try to get them to care by the end of the match. Because, you know, a lot of them probably had never even seen live wrestling, so it was definitely a challenge. Yeah, but you know, I don't. I really don't remember anything else other. I don't know if I got over that night or not, but <laughs> I, uh, I know I was at least trying something different. Yeah, and it's not a bad. It's not a bad thing when you're doing uh, like. And then Ace Steel once he told me he said, "Hey, you got a match this weekend," and we were in Sedalia again. Sure enough. And uh, I said, yeah. He said, why don't you try doing like a religious gimmick? You know, you're Daniel Cross and, you know, you could, you know, maybe try, you know, telling people they need to pray more or something like that. Or I'm like, eh, okay, sure. Why not? So I went out that, that night and I don't know, people were like, I'd, I'd wait for someone to cuss or something. And then I would turn over to them and said, you need to go to church or, you know, stuff like that. It was a one night thing. I never did it again. Um, but you know, it's like when you're a new guy and you're an indie guy, it's never, it's not like you're on national television. You can try out different things until you find something that's comfortable for you. Right. But you know, you have to be, you have to be willing to try things. You know, you can't just go out there and do the same thing every night just because that's what, because then you become comfortable with it. And sometimes when you become comfortable with something that you don't even realize it's not getting you over because like I said, it's more easy just to go ahead and do something comfortable. Oh, no doubt about it. Um, I do want to transition to a little bit to this new um, idea that me and you have been uh, kind of toying around with for some time, and I'll kind of yes. let you talk about it. Basically, you had kind of pitched this podcast idea to me, and I was in the midst of you know three podcasts, and I was like, well, it sounds fun. I just don't know how I could possibly pull this off time-wise, and honestly, doing this show is a lot of fun with different guests, but... It's also the most taxing because I'm trying to coordinate with a bunch of different people to have guests on the show and, you know, people have to cancel and reschedule and it's just, it's always sometimes a difficult thing. So, um, we had a bunch of different ideas, but we kind of came up with something. I'll kind of let you kind of, I I guess, kind of say, you know, what we got here. 
Yeah, so I think we uh, started just kind of texting, talk, talking back and forth, and we wanted to do some kind of a show that kind of encapsulated all things retro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we were like, well, do we make a show, like, you know, namely, you know, just focused on toys, and you were kind of already doing, a, you know, you are doing anyway, a toy show. Like, okay, do we talk about just TV or movies? You know, what is it? Do we need to pinpoint something? And then we kind of came up with the idea, well, let's just talk about all those things at random. So then it's like, okay, well, how do we do that? Well, then we came up with this idea of a wheel. And I believe our working title is the Saturday Morning Rumble Wheel. That's the idea. So what we're going to do is, that's the idea. We'll uh, see if that's, uh, I think we're going to maybe try to start dropping episodes maybe in January. We'll kind of see how the next few Weeks go through Christmas, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna load this wheel up, and this may all change by the time we actually do the show. But the idea is the idea very right tentative now, at this point. But yeah, that's kind of the that's kind of the working idea. Yeah, we're gonna load this wheel up with all sorts of different topics, from I don't know goosebumps to WWF Maximum Sweat wrestlers to video rental stores to school lunches or you know whatever it may be, anything that kind of uh, makes us feel. Those kind of nostalgic feelings. Yes. Um, we're going to put them on a wheel. We're going to spin the wheel, and then we're going to talk about whatever it lands on. And some of those topics, uh, because we don't want to like necessarily, it's going to be hard to dedicate, you know, a thirty-minute show or an hour-long show to some of these topics. But yet, we still want to cover them. So, you know, some of these topics we may only talk about for two minutes. You know, other topics we might talk about for a full hour. You know, if we're talking about. Let's just say the the 90, 1998 Raw and 98 Nitro. You know, that could be something that takes us an entire hour, mm-hmm. you know, to discuss and talk about. But if we're just talking about our favorite Goosebumps book, you know, that may only take three or four minutes. Um, so that's kind of the idea. You know, the Rumble, you know, you think of the Royal Rumble. Some, some entrants, they last for, you know, 30 seconds. Some entrants last for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was kind of the idea, I believe, at this point yeah, uh, behind and, the and, show. So Yeah, and what we're probably going to do is set a number of topics on the wheel, which will be, I don't know, 10, 15, 20, something like that. We're gonna, we actually have like a wheel. Now, it's not a real wheel. We're, go, we're kind of modernizing this, so it'll be like an app. But, you know, we'll spin the wheel live on the show and... Like like he was saying, like it could be anything. Let's say we land on WWF Hasbro figures. Well, that's it's possible to talk on that for a while, right? Because that's something we both are very fond of. It's one of the probably the greatest wrestling figure lines ever. So we could touch on that for a long time. But then we may land on school lunches, and I think that's a fun topic just because I have so many stories involving school lunches over the years and how just odd that whole experience was most of the time but um <laughs> anyway i think it'll be a fun idea i think it'll be very retro heavy where we can kind of basically dive into stuff we don't remember and then that's also too where i think it'll be fun for people to hit us up and be like hey you guys should talk about this hey you guys should talk about that because there's probably a lot of stuff from the 80s and 90s that we haven't really thought about or remembered in a while yeah, I think so. And I think we also kind of settled, we want to at the moment anyway, we want to drop these episodes on Saturday mornings and kind of play off that nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Because if, you know, you were a kid Saturday morning, it was all about cartoons and cereal and your underwear and, you know, whatever else was going on Saturday, returning your uh, 
your blockbuster rentals from the night before. Or, yep. Uh, yeah, so I mean, Saturday mornings, that was always a good time. So I think, you know, the Saturday morning rumble wheel sounds like a pretty good title at the moment. But, you yep. know, we'll, we'll see what happens by the time we get there. Yeah, I think it'll be a lot of fun. And, you know, it's also interesting because it, it strikes up so much debate because, you know, I've had some people who have told me they think video rental stores might at some point come back. And part of me is like, but it's not necessary. Like, you don't need to go rent a VHS tape in 2022 or 2023. But if you look at Walmart now, they have an entire section with vinyl records and record players. That's also not, yeah, that's, could, that's not necessary either, but people are digging that. So who knows? I could see, I could see, I don't know about a video rental store, but definitely <clears throat> like a physical media store. You know, mm-hmm. making a making a comeback. You know, like I don't want to say like a Best Buy, but a place where maybe you can get actually VH te- uh, VHS tapes for people because they there are people that actually still collect them, and actually more and more people. That's what's interesting. I was talking to a guy at a actually like a record shop the other day, and he said, you know, as we move more towards digital, there becomes more of a demand for the physical. As odd as odd as that is. You know, because when you have, when we were just in the DVD phase, nobody wanted VHS tapes. But now that DVDs, Blu-rays, those are almost going by the wayside. Now there's like, you know what, I kind of like, I kind of miss the old VHS tapes. So people are starting to collect those. Like you said, vinyl records are coming back. I don't know if cassette tapes ever will make a comeback, but you know, you never know. Um, So yeah, I don't, I don't know. I would love, part of me would love for a video rental store to make a comeback. I just don't see how it would ever profit enough to to uh, be a viable business, you know, for anybody. As much as I would say I would go and support it, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably go a couple of times and be like, oh, yeah, that's why we don't like them. Well, <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's fun to go in and look, but you're like, oh, okay. That's kind of all we needed. Like, it's not, it's not a viable thing because it's just not. I don't know, like this generation, I mean, you have young kids, I, you know, my niece and nephew, they don't even know the concept of rewinding a tape and what that means, you know, like, <laughs> it's just such a weird. Yeah, well, like, and uh, you, uh, like, uh, even right now, like, I've got, you know, an entertainment center full of DVDs that I don't even watch, and they're right there, you know, so why am I going to drive across town and <laughs> pick up a VHS tape? Or a DVD and rent it and then bring it back. And, yeah. you know, pretty much everything I do now is just all streaming. It's just kind of the way it goes. Well, but, it's because uh, that's we did that because you had to do that, right? I mean, like yeah. as much as I enjoy the Friday nights at the video store or, or whatever it was, like, yeah, those were good times and we all enjoyed it. But it's like that was also just kind of like that's what we did. Like there was no alternative to that. Like there wasn't as much on television then. There was no on-demand television like this generation will never understand flipping the channels right like they won't understand yeah trying to find so when you're something to watch when you were wrestling in eldon did you go to a movie gallery or did you go to i think it was called the video factory oh i went to both my friend yes did you oh no i just went to video fact movie gallery was way too high they actually got cheaper video factory did they? Okay. They they actually. When I was there, like the video factory, they had pretty much everything that wasn't a new release was a dollar. Yeah. Which was awesome. Um, video factory, pretty much everything was like three ninety nine, and I think new releases were even a dollar more. 
I just uh, wasn't making wasn't making enough in the wrestling business to be able to afford a movie gallery. <laughs> when I when about oh eight oh nine, every all their new releases switched to two dollars for one day at movie gallery. So we would all like go rent a movie and then you know the next day return them, get a new movie. So like two bucks wasn't so bad. But yeah, Video Factory also had the tanning salon, so that was kind of a nice thing. Oh yeah. Yeah, it was it was a different time. Oh, yeah. I remember when Redbox came in. We had one at the uh, Walmart there, and I was just like, "This is the coolest thing ever." And then, like shortly thereafter, movie galleries like closing its shop, and it's like, "Well, that stinks." You know, it's just kind of a weird thing to think like, "Wow, that's that's over now." Yeah, those were always you know good memories for me, almost more than the wrestling itself. But we yeah. would always do our uh, wrestling training, you know, and we would. Uh, Usually after training, maybe on a Thursday night, we would all go out to Happy Garden Chinese Buffet. Oh, yes. And get some of that. And then by that time, it was 9 o'clock. And then I'd head over to the video factory and get two or three movies and watch those, you know, that night. And then the next day or something, take them back. So, yeah, I don't know. That was kind of the, the life of, of a wrestler back in 05, 06, <laughs> somewhere in there. But, uh, yeah, we made many a trips to the video factory right after training. So, so, you know, you're talking about the movie rental places. It's it's so interesting. And I think this is what will be great about the Rumble Wheel podcast because, like, would we spend an hour talking about a movie rental place? Maybe not. But I think it's interesting because I think we'll end up spending more time on these topics than we realize. And I think that's where the fun of this show will come. Like, say we, we land on school lunches. We might think, well, that's a 10-minute conversation. What if that goes 45 minutes? Like it, and it could because oh, yeah. you don't know my stories. I don't know your stories. And I think that's where it's so interesting. And so um, I don't know. I'm excited about this, man. I think the unpredictability of it is really, really cool. And um, I just think it'll be a really good time. Yeah, I am too. Like I said, I like being able to not just kind of pigeonhole yourself into talking just about toys or just about TV or movies yes. or uh, – certain uh you know certain toy lines or even a wrestling figure podcast um you know like i said the pigeonholing but uh you know you can actually you can bring up anything you know i think the only pigeonhole of sorts is just going to be the retro aspect of it and it may not even be we may even throw in some more modern stuff or you know take some uh, suggestions you know definitely from people in the twitterverse or yeah wherever we want to get our suggestions from so yeah, I think there's going to be a, a lot of uh, spontaneity to it and creativity and uh, a lot of randomness for sure. So it's going to be a good time. I think so too. I think it'll be great. I think we have so we have a really cool idea because, like you said, we can go in so many different directions. Like I think, I mean, like just just in us talking, I think more ideas will hit. Like I'm sure you remember this, but do you remember like when you get in the mail, those things where it's like the CD club where you can get five CDs for three oh, yeah. cents each. And, and I remember seeing that. And I'm telling my dad's like, oh, we got to sign up for this. This is a great deal. No. And he's like, no, we're not doing that. I'm like, well, why not? Like, this is a great deal. And he's like, it's a gimmick. Yeah. What like, was that? Radio house. What was that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't I exactly know what you're talking about. Yeah. I can't. It was something house. I don't remember, but they, uh-huh. they did it with, um, with DVDs later on too. And Oh yeah, and I could branch off actually from there and talk about I signed up for a Disney movie club because you got like uh twelve movies for like a dollar 
but then it, it kind of ropes you into buying more and more and more, and by the end of the year, you end up spending like $100 on uh, Disney movies. So, yeah, it's all a racket, but, oh, yeah, I definitely remember those. It's it's just so interesting how all that would, would take place. And then uh, I remember you brought up Goosebumps books. Those were a huge part of my childhood. I remember – do you remember like in school, like the booklet you would get – Real thin, almost wax yep. paper, and it was like an order form for books. Oh yeah, or the book fairs. How oh gosh. See what's funny and nowadays. I don't know if you know this, but um, well, I'm, I'm sure you do. Um, a lot of the elementary schools, what they'll do is they'll do like Grandparents Day, and so the grandparents come in and they you know eat like cupcakes or something with the kids, and then oh, all of a sudden there's a book fair. Big shocker! Yeah. <laughs> I'm like. That's genius. Nice. Like, it's such a smart it strategy. Is. But it's you – because know, they know grandparents are going to buy whatever they want, you know, because I remember when I'd go to the book fair, my mom would be like, all right, you have to buy a book. And I'd be like, well, there's this really cool highlighter I want. You know, No, you have to buy a book. Uh, like, that's what this money's for. I would always go with the, uh, like, little short 20-page biographies on different athletes. Mm-hmm. So I think I bought one on Patrick Ewing one year. Yeah. <laughs> Or uh, Barry Bonds or, you know, somebody like that. But they're always, like, brightly colored, real short, like I said, about 20 pages. Half the pages were pictures, so it was only, like, a 10-page biography. You know, made for second or third graders or oh, yeah. something. But, or I'd get a few art books, you know, different, uh, like, comic book coloring things or stuff like that. I mean, they had everything. As far as books went, that's – I was never a fan. I just – I never really liked reading or any of those things, but – as far as books went, that was about as cool as they got back then. Well, I remember you know being really into Goosebumps, and uh, we're at a book fair, and all of a sudden they they debut Animorphs, and it's like, uh. what are these? And we were all instantly hooked to those because it was kind of you know a book series, not like Goosebumps, but kind of a similar you know genre, and we were all just like, this is so cool, we got to get these books, and like the cover had like a basically showed a kid morphing into an animal and I was like, this is the ah. coolest thing ever. We have to have them. And I mean, it was always great strategy how they did all that stuff. I remember uh, first grade, I got a WWF biography book where I bio bioed like 10 superstars. Kind of like what okay. you were talking about. It was bright yellow. I remember. And you know, of course it's like Hogan and warrior and Jake, the snake and Mr. Perfect and all those guys. But yeah, I mean, it was just, it was an, always an interesting time. So I think stuff like that, like, would I think we could talk an hour about the book fair? Not necessarily, but it's so interesting to go through all those different things. Like, um, I mean, on the TV toy cast, we did an episode on the Sega Genesis one time and Travis brought up the Sega channel and I'm like, wow, I totally forgot about the Sega channel. Oh, you know, like, yeah. and I remember a friend of mine had a next door neighbor that had the Sega channel. So, we would always like invite him to play so we could go play the Sega channel later. <laughs> like, yeah, or do you a... remember the Nintendo, the Nintendo power hotline or something? Oh yeah. Where you, you could call for tips and pay like $20 for a minute. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. But, like, uh, uh, what yeah, about the WCW hotline with Mean Gene? You know how big that was. I know. I see it. I never called any of those places because my parents would have killed me. Right. Me because, too. Because, like I said, it was probably like three dollars a minute or something, and you're probably on hold for ten minutes. Yeah. But uh, no, I know. I always wanted to call those. I thought about maybe I can just sneak one in and they wouldn't notice. Yeah. But, I always no, tried on a payphone. 
like almost every time, but it never would go through. Did it work? <laughs> never. Oh, okay. <laughs> it never worked. Um, but I mean, there's so many things. So I think that's, what's cool about this. So, uh, we're looking to debut this, um, probably early 2023, you know, depending on schedules and stuff and, you know, getting our first wheel together. And so when you hear this, you know, definitely shoot me, uh, a tweet. Uh, or Instagram, Facebook, however you, you message me and be like, Hey, there's an idea for, for the rubble wheel. Uh, Cause it can be anything like I, like this can go from toys to, to television shows. Um, like I, I, I was just informed of this the other day. Were you aware of this? Did you know that on the sitcom step-by-step Step, Beavis and Butthead were on there? Um, yes. I do remember that now that you brought it up, like a live version of them. Yeah. Like, I had no idea Travis yeah. told me that on TV Toycast, and I'm like, wait, what? He's like, I'm serious. Beavis and Butthead were. Yeah, they were kind of like a spoof. Yeah. Where, I don't think that was their names, but they were, obviously, that's who were there, they were trying to be. Yeah, and it was just like, wait a minute. Like, that actually happened, and it, yeah, it did. So, I think stuff like that will be fun for the Rumble Wheel. How about uh, cartoon underwear? Did you ever have any of those? Absolutely, I did. Um, I I had that I, I had the WWF it. pair, man, from Fruit of the Loom. Nice. I still got them. No, <laughs> my uh, my brother he had. I remember he had a lot of those He Man and different things when we were younger. Oh so, yeah, like those. Yeah, were we may, so may cool. talk about underwear. Who knows? Hey, I mean that's JC Penney's Christmas catalog. That you know it could be anything. I that's all the stuff. Those are just uh, all things that bring back good memories for me. Well, and I think it's interesting to to talk about all that stuff because, like, even if you talk about, like, toys, action figures, like, how cool were all the toy commercials back in the day? We don't really see those nowadays because that's not really even a a thing. But, like, how amazing was that if you were watching a cartoon and you saw a commercial for Power Ranger toys or WWF toys? It's like, oh, I got to get it. Like, you were so excited. So. I don't know stuff like that. Yeah, great, like, I think you talked about them. You talked about them before, but when they had those wrestling buddy dolls, and the kids were wrestling in their room, and their bed was a ring, and oh yeah, of course you never get that. You never get that same thing when you actually buy them yourself and bring them home. But right. Oh, I had a kid at school that told me he had the bed ring. Yeah, I was like, what? He's like, oh yeah, I've got the bed ring, and I'm like. Yeah. Of course, nowadays it'd be like take a picture of it, prove it. You know, like you couldn't do that then. Sure. And then if you want, if you rewatch that commercial, it's very clear that they just tied some clothes and stuff around uh-huh. bedposts. <laughs> it's like it's not a ring. It's just, I, you know, he was or, yeah, just the, just the little things. How much things have changed. Like when you would see a toy commercial, and at the very end of it, they would have the big lineup. You know, of all twelve figures or whatever it would be. And you, if you were recording it, you know, you had to try to, like, pause it on that one screen so you could see, you know, because there wasn't any, well, I'm just going to Google all the figures in that line. Right. You had to pause it on your, on your VHS and hope that it wasn't uh, grainy or, or jumping up and down just to try to catch, you know, okay, oh, they have The Undertaker. Oh, they have this and that. Oh, yeah. Um, whether it was that or Ninja Turtles or... Oh, they got a Casey Jones coming out. I didn't see that. Or absolutely, you know, just little little stuff like that that you had to do back in the day. That now is so obsolete, or you know, it's so easy now just to find info. Maybe that's it more than anything. It's so easy to find anything you're looking for now. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find anything uh, online. But yeah, back then it was you know you're pretty. You had an encyclopedia. Uh, maybe you could go to the library, but as far as finding. You know, new toys, you know, you were waiting on a catalog or maybe going to Walmart or maybe there was a Toys R Us catalog or, 
talking to somebody at Toys R Us of what was coming out. But uh, it's yeah, different, you're pretty it's different limited world, on though. your options. Yeah, it was it was definitely a different a different time and a different world, and I think that's what will be fun about this show. We're kind of making it. Uh, you know, kind of like the Saturday morning cartoons, you know, except unfortunately um, for the Saturday morning cartoon audience, sometimes you overslept them. This will always be available. So you don't have to listen to Saturday morning, but hopefully you do. And like I said, we'll uh, we'll keep everyone posted. Hopefully we'll, we'll drop this in uh, early 2023 and uh, give us some ideas. Let us know what you want to hear. Um, you know, it's fake, right? We'll definitely be taking a break, or at least for now. And uh, hopefully we'll have, uh, I'll have, you know, some answers on that. I'm thinking maybe in the summertime I may record a few episodes. I just want to kind of recharge my batteries from this for a while. The feed will still be available. All the episodes are still going to be up. I just, I want to take a break from this and kind of try out this new idea. Cause it sounds like a lot of fun. Hey, I'm all for it. Yeah, man. Um, so Daniel, anything else you want to add before we get out of here, man? Like I know you're not a big social media guy, but I know you got the atomic fandom, uh, Facebook page, which that is also kind of, it's one of my favorite Facebook pages to follow, not just because you run it, but just because of what you post of like all this, you know, unique stuff. It's just, it's a fun follow. So if you're a Facebook person, I definitely recommend following Atomic Fandom. Yeah. And I know you're kind of pushing me to get out there onto Twitter and different things like that. Maybe I will. I don't know. At this point, it's like, I just don't want much more to follow or post or <laughs> keep up on, but yeah, eh, you never know. Maybe I'll end up there one day. You never know, so uh, it'll be it'll be cool. But uh, anyway, thank you again for being a part of this episode, the kind of the farewell for you know it's fake, right? At least for now, and hopefully you guys uh, will be ready for the Rumble Wheel, hopefully coming in twenty twenty three. But Daniel, uh, thanks for being on the show, man. Hey, look forward to talking to you again real soon. Definitely, thanks, man. All right, we are back here on episode 100 of You Know It's Fake, right? The ongoing battle with the dirtiest four-letter word in professional wrestling. Are you ready for the Saturday morning rumble wheel? You can now follow us on social media at the rumble wheel on Instagram and on Twitter. And um, get ready for it. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's um, it's up on iTunes or Apple. Um, I've noticed, though, it's harder to get podcasts published. It's it's not searchable, but you can find it with the RSS f- feed, which is kind of strange, but it is you can find it. So anyway, uh, I noticed I had some issue getting uh, TB Toycast up, and um, finally did. So now I've got uh, I've got this show up there. It's searchable, and it's also on Spotify. It's easy to find there, but um, it's not searchable yet, which kind of makes it tough. And if I show a link, it's like the RSS feed. If you're not familiar with this, so the RSS feed, if you go into Apple, you can search by an RSS feed and it'll pop up. But you can't just type in the Saturday morning rumble wheel and it'll pop up. It's very strange, but it should be up soon. It's not the first episode, it's just a trailer, but we do plan to launch sometime in 2023. So I want to make sure the feed's up and it's rolling before we do anything. So it will be up soon. But in the meantime, I hope you guys enjoy the archives of this show. Make sure to still listen to Power Hour, still listen to TV Toycast. Uh, and I appreciate each and every time you do listen to any of the podcasts I do. I really, really do appreciate that. And um, 
I guess for one last time, at least for a while, as the great Johnny Valentine once said, I can't make you believe that pro wrestling is real, but I sure as hell can make you believe that I am. I'm Brian Breaker, and this has been You Know It's Fake Right. And we'll see you guys later. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful. I've been a rapper a minute, and I can stand toe to toe with the best of the minute. Don't give a damn about critics, they talk a lot, but at the end of the night, I'm selling the tickets. All the tough guys avoid me, the ladies all adore me, paparazzi record me, I can put on a clinic, all my opposers are born.